All right, Philippians chapter 4, we'll continue our Wednesday night series. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Amen. Let's read verses 9 through 13. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and see in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. The thought of verse 9, we didn't get to that last week, I was hoping to, but the thought of verse 9 is one that we have covered before while we were in chapter 3 and verse 17, where Paul wrote, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an ensample. Since the overall theme of this verse has already been covered, I don't want to dwell here in, in verse 9 too long, but let's briefly take a look at some things here. Notice he says four things. That they had learned, received, heard, and seen in him. They had observed Paul's conduct, and he had no reservations telling somebody else, you do those things you've seen me do, and you'll be all right. <laughs> That's amazing. If you want to know how to live the Christian life, look at my life. Paul actually practiced what he preached. And so he could confidently, though he's not being prideful, he could confidently tell others, just do like I do. <laughs> live like I live, and really this is saying imitate me. This is a mature believer who can help New believers grow in their relationship and walk with God. You see, people, they need to see an authentic demonstration of Christianity. I think we've all grown weary of hearing one thing and seeing another in people. But I wonder how often we've been guilty of the same thing. I grow tired of it, and I'm sure I've done it to other people too. And I think we all grow tired of hypocrisies. And... We are tired of it at the political level. Is it any coincidence that we're nearing the midterms that some of the restrictions are starting to loosen in the blue states? Coincidence? I don't think so. Say one thing to another. And, of course, we're tired of it in the church. We've all heard stories or seen them, been through them ourselves, of pastors taking advantage of people, abusing their positions, um, some very deep, hurtful things have happened. Some, some have robbed the church and so forth and abused others. And, and I, I think we all just understand that what this world needs is a demonstration of real Christianity where we could be a church where we could tell the world, if you want to know Christ, come alongside me and not be hypocritical about it, but be genuine. And 
not say one thing and do another, but actually be able to look at somebody and say, what you have learned from me, what you have heard from me, what you have received from me, what you have seen in me, just do that. (laughs) Just do that. So it got me to wondering, how far along could someone grow in their walk with God if they had to look at your life? If somebody did everything you did, would they grow in their Christian life? That's what Paul's saying here. Just do what I do. Can we say that about our life? Would they learn to read their Bible every day by watching you? Would they learn to have a prayer life by watching you? Would they learn to be at church faithfully by watching you? Would they learn to tithe by watching you? Would they learn to witness to others by watching you? Maybe the problem is too many people are watching what we're doing and doing what they see. And no wonder we don't have revival and growth because we're not doing it ourselves. I mean, we're here. This is the Wednesday night faithful, amen? But I know there's people here. You're not reading your Bible every day. You're not praying like you know you should and so forth. And I'm not beating you up. I'm just saying that's, that's where we're at. And so can people learn by watching you? Can you disciple another by having them shadow you for a while? That's what people do on the job, on the job training. They follow you around. They learn from you. They watch you. They shadow you. Can they do that in your Christian life? So the question is, what are others learning from you? Paul was so confident he was on the right track. He could say here, if you do like me, then the God of peace shall be with you. Paul had come to learn that God's blessings of his presence and his peace are upon those who sell out for Christ. So he was confident that God would bless as well. But we've covered this thought, so let's, let's move on. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you are also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So we find here, and, and we knew this, I think, already from some past thoughts, But the Philippian church was a giving church. They were concerned about missions, if you will. And just for a second, look at verses 15 and 16. It says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Now, I don't know if we're to take that as literal as it's worded, and that even his home church in, in uh, Antioch didn't support him financially. I'm, but that's what it says. Nobody else was. But the Philippian believers, they had a heart for the Apostle Paul's ministry and to support him along in his missionary journeys. And so this was a missions-minded church. They understood Paul would be blessed if he had some financial support along the way. Yeah, he could make tents, and yeah, you can have a bivocational pastor, or you can have somebody who can just focus entirely on the Word and prayer and the ministry. And so Paul, he, he, there were times he had to make some tents along the way, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, and thank God for every pastor who does. But they believed if they could support him financially, it would free him up. And so they graciously gave to him, and they were giving to the work of the Lord as a result of their giving. And that's how we need to understand our giving. 
It is to the Lord. It is for His work. And we can gather from verse 10 that somewhere along the way, the support from this church had dried up. Somehow it had stopped. It wasn't as routine as it was before because we read, Now at the last, your care of me hath flourished again. So there was a break in support coming from this church. And it can't be a coincidence. We received this card from Rebecca tonight when I'm talking about this. That by the grace of God, we've been able to faithfully give every month to everybody we've taken on for support. And, and that's a blessing. That's a, that's a testimony on your faithfulness. Stay faithful. And so now that Paul is once again in Rome, they are giving him support. Uh, Paul wrote, wherein ye were all so careful. He says, I know while you couldn't support me, you were still mindful of me. And no doubt praying for him, he says, I know your heart was to help me. But you lacked opportunity. They either didn't have the means for a season due to maybe some internal needs or something going on there in Philippi, or they just simply couldn't get it to him. Uh, imagine living in those days. The, how slow information flow would be, especially for somebody who's on the move all the time, like Paul was. And not to mention just travel would have been more complicated. And so sending correspondence and assistance and all this would have taken a lot more time. So they gave once and again, it says, while Paul was in Thessalonica, but Thessalonica was only 75 miles to the south. That's a little bit easier to give support to somebody who's that close. Rome, on the other hand, it was anywhere, depending on how you traveled, it was anywhere between 700 and 1,200 miles away. And you can imagine how long it would have taken in those days to travel that distance and to be able to give. you got to make sure you're bringing enough that you're not spending it all to get there. <laughs> i got good news, Paul. I'm here to see you. But the bad news is that I spent everything we are going to give you to get here. And so, anyway, it just would have been more difficult. You can imagine that. And it could just be that they couldn't afford it for a season. That happens. The, the Greek word here for our English phrase, hath flourished again, it means to revive like plant life does every spring. And so a tree will drop its leaves, it'll be bare for a while, spring comes around and it starts to flourish again in the springtime, and this could be alluding to the fact that they just had a season where they didn't have it to give. One time, I don't know why this popped in my head, but one time pastor asked us in the Preacher Boys class, he said, uh, he, he was talking about a church he knew where the pastor had to make a decision, do I go get a job or do we drop supporting our missionaries? And he was just asking the question about what, what did we think of that. And I know my opinion then, and it still is today, if I have to make a choice between supporting missions or getting a job, I'll get a job, a secular job, <laughs> for those who think I don't work now. Uh, <laughs> secular job. Amen. Um, it's all priorities sometimes, but anyway, they, they had something happen perhaps and maybe they couldn't give. Um, so we know we're always to give, but when we give to ventures outside of our local church, such as our missions program, I, I hope you understand tonight that we believe that should be above and beyond your tithe. Your, that your tithe goes to where you eat your hamburgers and your hot dogs. You don't go eat at Roadhouse and pay your bill at Longhorn. I'm not sure that would help anyway. Um, you don't go to Taco Bell, amen, and pay your bill. Um, so you, you, should, you should tithe where you, where you get fed, is what I'm saying. Pay your bill where you get fed. And, um, but when we start talking about missions and we start talking about these different things that would go outside of the local church, that should go above. Now, I know there's people out there teaching you different. 
but I believe it's biblical. I don't have time to get into it tonight. Um, but there are some people who say, well, as long as it's your tithe and it's going to some sort of church thing or even a parachurch thing, it's okay. I don't believe that. The Bible says bring all your tithes into the storehouse, and, and that's here. Anyway, I didn't want to get into that. It's not even in my notes. Um, and so they, they just may have had a season where they couldn't have given, and I'm sure they were staying faithful to their own church, but we have had a strong enough emphasis on missions here that many understand the importance to stay faithful to that commitment once they make it. Um, and I can give you an example where we still experience seasons, though, even though the context here we would say is missions, even though in our case our missions has always been provided for, we still experience seasons, I think. And I, I don't think I would be at liberty to give all the details tonight. I will mention it to the deacons here in our meeting in a couple weeks, but somebody called and they said, hey, would you be interested in acquiring a building in our area, not in our region, I should say. It's not in our town or anything like that. And so it's not for us to use. It's not even, it's smaller than this building, but long story church, uh, short, a church was shutting down. And so, hey, would you guys be interested in acquiring this building? It would only be $600,000. And he said, well, I know that'd be a miracle. And I said, well, to be honest with you, brother, we're praying for our own miracle, and I don't think it'd be good for me to invest 600000 into a building when we need a new building. There's seasons. You understand what I'm trying to say? And it doesn't mean we would stop giving to churches. We recently just gave the Great Commission Baptist Church out of the Omaha area to help them buy a, a building. Um, and so I'm not against helping that, but as far as acquiring an entire property like that to help another situation, I just think we're in a season right now where we need to do what we need to do to get our facility going. I know some disagree with that thinking, but I just see it as there's different seasons in life, there's different seasons in ministry. And right now we have a focus that is we need a new facility. So I just want to be clear, though, in case anybody's wondering, I will always choose supporting missionaries over building a new facility. It's just what we have to do. But you see, some churches don't understand the season that they're in. There'll be a new church plant, and then they'll overload on their mission support while never taking their pastor on for support. And I think that's a problem. I don't think a new church plant ought to go out there and support 30 missionaries right away while the pastor's out there working at UPS. And so I just think there needs to be a balance. I think there's seasons. And so I look at our season, and I think, well, if we could get a new building and we could increase our footprint, we would have more coming in for missions, and it would all equal out in the end. So we're going to keep our focus as far as missions go. I don't want you to misunderstand me. And then the season will come. It'll revive. It'll flourish again, and we can refocus our ministry targets. Um, some might be wondering, well, are, are we going to reach out and ask for money from other churches for our building needs? And the answer is no. God has never given me peace to do that. Um, I'm not against the churches who do. We helped that one church I just mentioned, and they did that. But uh, I just don't feel like that's the direction God would have us to go. And, um, and frankly, I just am typically turned off by the ministries. Um, I just had three, three Christian junk mails this week, all these kind of different fundraisers for their different things. And um, listen, a lot of that stuff, if you take on the ministry, that's your responsibility. That's just how I feel about it. And so um, I just haven't been led to do that. In case you're wondering... Uh, I think we have to get serious about it on our end. And, and like I said, another church isn't wrong for doing so, but that's just how I feel led. Now, should somebody be burdened to give? I'll take it. But would you take it from an ungodly company just as quick as the children of Israel took from Egypt? 
children of Israel gave to the church, where do you think they got that money? They were enslaved in Egypt. They got it from a bunch of people that worshipped a bunch of false gods. And God used it for the building of the tabernacle. Anyway, I am just out in left field. Let me get back here and focus. <laughs> if God were to burden somebody, yes, happily take it. Person, church, I don't care. Um, but I have no plans to go out and ask for it. Now, there are some programs that are set up by wealthy Christians that they have made grants possible for a new facility. I can see doing that. We have to be further along, though. Most of those programs, you have to already have so much invested before they will hand you over $800,000. But um, those programs are in existence for that purpose. Somebody had already gotten under the burden to help a church. And so anyway, I hope you can see what I'm saying. There's different seasons in ministry. There's different seasons in life. I know when we were in Mississippi, for example, and our kids were much younger, there were things that um, it just wasn't the right season. And I can see later on that things would, would have taken a turn there, and then it would have been the season to do those things. And so there's just different seasons in life. And Pastor Holder, when he was here for Mrs. Hollinsworth's funeral, he said there's, di- there's reasons for different seasons. And that's always stuck with me. Um, and so these Philippians, they gave as there was opportunity. Something came up which prevented them from giving, and like they were giving early on to Paul. But now that he's in Rome, their giving has revived again. And notice that Paul says here that he rejoiced greatly, or he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And though the Philippians are the ones who gave the money, Paul recognized it was a gift from God. Amen. And James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So, you know, have you ever received a blessing where, come to find out, it was on its way before you ever knew there was a need? It's the neatest thing to experience, and it's a blessing when you do. And it'll cause you to rejoice greatly in the Lord when that happens. And it's really just somebody on the other end who was being obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. They didn't know there was a need, but they got under the burden of something that the Holy Spirit was leading them in. Maybe they cut a check, maybe they whatever the need was, and they placed it in the mail before your need ever came up, but it arrived just on time. And that's God knowing your need before you do. I've experienced this a time or two in my life, especially since becoming pastor, and it builds our faith. It causes us to rejoice greatly. You know, God watches over His children, and He knows our need. And there's times where I could calculate the postmark on the envelope and look at when the need came up and do the math and realize, how in the world did they know? (laughs) God knew. And he prompted them to do so. And I would tell you tonight, listen, if if the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do it. Do it. I try to be responsive every time I feel led to make a phone call or give a text or write a card to make sure I do that. And it's just my way of trying to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Um, Had somebody recently, I I woke up with them on my mind early, early in the morning. And and I laid there awake praying for them. and, And when I thought it was late enough in the morning to text them, I said, uh, man, the Lord just laid you on my heart this morning, and I've been praying for you. And, uh, and he wrote back and said, you have no idea how badly I needed to hear that. And he said, I'm going through some things right now, and I didn't have a clue. And so just try to be sensitive to those things and be responsive to the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
So he first lets them know that he's not in the ministry for money. (laughs) Even in the first century, they had to say disclaimers like this. Amen? And so we're not in this for money. Some may be. I'm not. Nobody that's on staff here is. I know that for sure. Amen. Um, So he's not in this thing for money. He's saying, look, not that I speak in respect of want, uh, and, and we've all heard people say things like, ah, the church just wants your money. That preacher, man, he's just getting rich off of you working two days a week. We've all heard those kinds of statements. And though Paul was clearly overjoyed by their support of him, their prayers for him, their charity toward him, he's saying, look, I don't need your money. I'm sure he received it gladly. But he's saying, I don't need it. Why could he say this? It was because of what he says he had learned. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Because Paul had learned contentment, he could say, while I am grateful for the supply, I don't need this in my life to find contentment. Whatever state I'm in, I'm good to go. He would have been a good military man. We see that contentment, listen now, it is a learned behavior. You see what he wrote? I have learned. If you underline in your Bible, I would underline those two words. I have learned whatsoever state I'm in to be content. It's a learned behavior. In other words, it does not come naturally. Your flesh does not want to be content. On this thought, let me read to you from Spurgeon's morning and evening devotional about how it doesn't come naturally. He wrote this. These words show us that contentment is not a natural propensity of man. Ill weeds grow apace. It's in quotes, so I guess that was a saying back then. Amen. Ill weeds grow apace. Um, (laughs) Covetousness, discontent, and murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soul. We need not sow thistles and brambles. They come up naturally enough because they are indigenous to earth. And so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. But the precious things of the earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and all the gardeners care. Now contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. If we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in us. Paul says, I have learned to be content. As much as to say, he did not know how at one time. It cost him some pains to attain the mystery of that great truth. No doubt, he sometimes thought he had learned and then broke down. And when at last he had attained unto it and could say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, he was an old, gray-headed man upon the borders of the grave, a poor prisoner shut up in Nero's dungeon at Rome. We might well be willing to endure Paul's infirmities and share the cold dungeon with him if we too might by any means attain unto his good degree. 
do not indulge the notion that you can be contented with learning or learn without discipline. It is not a power that may be exercised naturally, but a science to be acquired gradually. We know this from experience. Brother, hush that murmur, natural though it be, and continue a diligent pupil in the college of content. Amen. End quote. So contentment is learned. That wasn't just my opinion, but even, even good old Spurgeon there thought that. Amen. And, of course, Paul does here. So contentment is learned. Contentment is belonging to the Lord. Okay, I want you to get this. Contentment is belonging to the Lord, and it's having no plans for yourself. You have died in this life, and you are now content with whatever God wants to do with your life. You see, contentment is letting God have His way with thee. When you are truly content in the Lord, Lord, I whatever, whatever you want from my life. If you don't want me to get that promotion, then fine. Content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Hebrews 13, 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How great is contentment connected to that well-known phrase, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We'll get to that in a minute. And so we see from these two verses that contentment is connected with godliness, and the opposite of contentment would be covetousness. And we should learn contentment when our basic needs of food and clothing are being met. And all of this comes down to just dying to yourself. Many have not learned to be content in life. They want a location change. They want a vocation change. They want a situation change. Change all the time and then they think, I'll find contentment, but contentment is not based upon our outward circumstances, but contentment is a matter of the heart and our walk and our closeness to God. And and understand, I'm not talking about you have to find contentment under some tyrannical government leadership. I'm not talking about that. The Bible is clear. You're persecuted in one city. It's okay to flee to another. That's what Jesus said. We're not talking about that kind of contentment. We're not talking about your children being content in an ungodly school system. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about you being content in an abusive relationship or something dangerous. But listen, we're talking about everyday normal life. Are you content? And and we've all seen those who think, if I could just change location again, this time it'll be better. This time I'll find contentment. But they don't experience contentment any more in Mississippi than they did in Georgia than they will in South Dakota. That's some states that we went through. Well, it's too hot here and it's too cold there. Other way around. It's too hot in Mississippi. Amen. And it's too cold this week up here. Amen. I know the Carters are laughing at us, but it's too cold this week. Amen. They're from like Minnesota and got that thick rhino skin. Uh-uh. It's not for me. I'm ready for the 60s again next week. Amen. Well, they got the beach over there and they got the mountains over there. Well, it's humid here, but it's dry there. You understand what I'm saying? It's just no contentment. 
How about those always looking for a different situation? Many times the location change is a result of desiring a different situation. Yet in every location, the same situation seem to develop along with the same bad relationships. And then there are those who are moving from location to location trying to escape situations that are connected to their vocation. So a man, he keeps changing good jobs constantly because he just can't be content. And he stops being a provider for his family. What's your problem? That that work environment was toxic. I mean, come on. What work environment? Okay. Except for Mike Chavez. His work environment is perfect. Uh, I love having business owners in the church, but you're kind of cramping my style tonight. Um, Where's Jared? Jared Okay. You understand what I'm saying, though? It's, it's like, well, that place was toxic, and that boss was mean, and that guy didn't like me, and, and he wouldn't let me rise in the company, and he favored this girl because he liked her, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, just be content. So what you've done now is you've job hopped all over creation, not understanding that there's only been one common denominator in all of that, and that's you. Hmm. Change location, didn't like it. New location, same situation. New job, same problems. Look in the mirror. There may be different faces outwardly, but it's the same old thing over and over again. So the common denominator, what is it? It's self. And that's what has to die if you want contentment. It's not the location. It's not the situation. It's not the vocation. It's just that self, flesh, it's it's not going to learn contentment. you got to die to it. And in some cases, we could throw church hopping into all of this as well. Of course, in our region, that's a little bit harder. (laughs) In Georgia, you could church hop in the same county for an entire lifetime. But up here, you're probably just going to drop out. But (laughs) people never learning contentment, always looking for something different. I always like, you know, well, what we used to do where I came from. Well, I didn't like this, and I didn't like that, and... You know, here's a thought for you. Is the Spirit of God upon the people? Amen. Amen. Just be content. Stop complaining about all the nonsense. Now, I know some that are just hypercritical. Have you met these people? I mean, it doesn't matter if you just sank your teeth in the best steak you've ever had in your life. They'll find something wrong with it. So apparently Natasha ordered an $80 steak and wanted A1 sauce for it. And the chef got offended. And if you don't know Natasha, that doesn't bother her one bit. <laughs> Funny story. Get her to tell it to you. Anyway, people can find something wrong with it. There's just those people that they're masters at it. I don't know what college they went to, but they got their doctorate degree and just aggravation and misery. And, and they just know how to spread that stuff around. And when Adrian and I first got married, we didn't know what our financial situation was going to be. And we made a, a mistake early on in our marriage. We, we moved in with another couple that had a house in Newport News, I think, and we were stationed at Langley Air Force Base in Hampton. Anyway, these were the most complaining people you've ever met in your life. And I think we stayed, I think the longest we could last was three months. After that, we had to get out of that situation. It was just toxic. (laughs) (laughs) We would go to pizza, like Pizza Hut, Chili, stuff like that, and every time they would complain enough to get the meal for free. And that gets embarrassing after a while. It's like, okay. No kidding, on the fridge, like the stack of free Pizza Hut coupons extended out like that far. And it was like, and there's always something wrong. (laughs) 
some people are just great at being critical. Um, <laughs> I was listening to a guy preach, and I know i got to hurry now. Listen to this guy preach, and he was asking the church, um, I want you to come up one by one and tell me your spiritual gift. And just whisper it in my ear. And people started coming up one by one. A lady came up, and she said, Pastor, my spiritual gift is being critical. And he said, well, you need to do what the one did with the one talent and go out and bury it. <laughs> Amen. Never learning contentment. Never seeing themselves as the common denominator in every scenario they complain about. Abraham Lincoln said this, most people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. Isn't that true? You're about as happy as you want. We used to always say in the military, the tour is what you make of it. Well, the leadership here is just not, I know, leadership's terrible everywhere. <laughs> just go ahead and chalk it up, amen. Um, now, because, let, let, me, let me wrap this up. Because contentment is connected with godliness, and because contentment is to be without covetousness, we cannot achieve this apart from the Lord. I want to go back to Hebrews 13.5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So contentment comes as a result of recognizing that the Lord will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is our portion in this life. He is all we need. In other words, we learn contentment when we learn that Christ is the one that we, we ultimately need in this life and all the other things begin to fade out. It takes time and you have to learn it. So how are you going to have a life without covetousness, and a life with contentment. You walk with God. You walk with God. And I thought we were going to get a lot further, but we'll stop there tonight. We'll pick this up next week if the Lord wills. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer.